the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 26, and following on can be found on page 1038 of your Bibles. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. As a time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Good morning, everybody, again. Well, that was overwhelming. (laughs) Good morning again. Yay. I'm trying new technology. I have an iPad up here that's hopefully going to control all of that. Did it work? Yay. Yeah, there we go. 
We're starting, as Colin has uh, introduced us to this morning, we're starting a new series looking at the next stage of Luke's gospel. I understand, if I'd been here, uh, that last year you spent some time in chapters 1 to 9. Now we're picking up at the end of chapter 9 and we're going through uh, to the end of chapter 11. We've called it the crossroad. Uh, That works on a number of different levels. See if you can kind of work it out uh, as we go along. As, uh, as we start, I want to introduce you uh, to a man. Anyone know who this is? I'd be surprised if you did. There's a couple of ladies out there expecting babies. This is an option I'd like to put before you for a name. Uh, name is Adoniram Judson. Uh, Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma from 1830 through to 1850. While he was there, he suffered with sickness, cholera, dysentery, malaria. He buried two wives and seven of his 13 children and many of his colleagues in ministry. One time he was imprisoned by the king of Burma at the time who imprisoned all followers, uh, all all foreigners, uh, as uh, spies. And he spent 17 months living, first of all, in a bamboo cage uh, and then in a courtyard as a prisoner malnourished tortured. He wrote in 1832 these words, advice to missionary candidates. Bear in mind that a large proportion of those who come out on a mission to the east will die within five years after leaving their native land. Walk softly, therefore. Death is narrowly watching your steps. As you think about Adoniram Judson, what are you thinking? Out of his mind? Completely insane? Why would you do something like this? This man's life, by any stretch of the imagination, was terrible. It was terrible. It was filled with suffering and pain and grief. What on earth would make that life worth living? As we start our series... I'd like to suggest to you that I believe our, our world has lost sight of anything beyond itself. When it dreams, our world dreams materialistic dreams. It has goals for the most comfort and the least pain. And I think as Christians, as churches, we dream many of those same dreams. But we're going to find as we dig into Jesus from Luke chapter 9 through to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to confront us. Jesus is going to challenge us. Jesus is going to break out of many of the nice little conceptions that we have of him. When I was first ordained, I was part of a church uh, that had one of those traditional uh, Sunday school halls. Remember those old churches that had the Sunday school halls? And they had a picture of Jesus, and he was wearing this lovely pastel blue robe, uh, complete with little lambs and birds in the background on a lovely green hill. And he had this kind of very bland look about, about him. He was about as confronting as, you know... I don't know, a bowl of muesli, something like that. (laughs) You'd look at him and you'd go, oh, well, let's move on. Why would you follow this guy? Can I say that? That is not the Jesus we meet here. 
That's not the Jesus that Sharon read to us. I don't know how you felt as those words were being read. Jesus is pretty in your face, straight up. So he's going to help us this morning explore a life that is truly worth living, a life of sacrifice where we give all, but we are given all. We're going to explore that under four headings. You'll look in there. I've I failed as I put together my sermon outline to give you four of the same letter. But then, then after I printed up, after Alex printed up the outline, I came up with the fourth C. So you can have, um, well, let me go this way. You can have the crown instead of the king. Okay, there's my fourth C. You can have the call. You can have the cost and the cause. So there are our four points. We're going to unpack them. We're going to go through and explore this challenge that Jesus has, this offer of a life that truly is one that calls for our all, but Christ gives us his all. Let's start with the crown. As I said last year, we looked at, or you looked at, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. And Luke As he introduces us to Jesus, he is really exploring who is this man. So you have your opening couple of chapters of Luke's gospel, the birth narratives, the angels and Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all this stuff. This one that is born in Bethlehem in Judea, this one is the promised king of the Jews. And then we see him, chapter 3, come onto the stage and we see him in action. We hear his incredible teaching. We see his phenomenal power, his power over nature as he speaks and calms the storm, his power over evil as he casts out demons, his power over sickness as he heals and blesses those who are struck down, his power over death itself. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus provokes the question. He says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, I don't know if you have favourites among the disciples. Peter is a bit of a favourite of mine uh, because he gets it wrong so many times. Yes, Uh, James and John, like John, he's the good guy. Normally, he got a bit of a bad rap later in the reading, but Peter's the guy that normally gets both feet in his mouth, totally makes a hash of it. But here, he gets it spot on. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter, first off off the bat, you are God's Messiah. What's that mean? You are God's Messiah. Now, Messiah... It's the Hebrew word for the Greek word we're probably more familiar with, Christ. Same word, both of them mean the anointed one. Now in the Old Testament, the kings and the prophets and the priests, the leaders of God's people were anointed to commission them. I'm glad we didn't do an anointing this morning, Paul. Thank you for not tipping stuff all over my head. Uh, But what happens in the Old Testament is we start to see that there is promised not just an anointed one, but the anointed one, the Christ, the king of God's kingdom who is promised, who will set everything straight, who will fix everything that is broken. To take a line from Tolkien, to make everything sad come untrue, to crush evil 
under his heel. That is what the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord's anointed was promised to do. And he does it through his victory on the cross. He does it through dying in our place, bearing the cost of our rejection, our rebellion against God. He does it as our substitute. And the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of it like this. Isaiah writing some 700 odd years before Jesus walked on this earth as a man. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice the substitution here. He pierced our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Peter sees with crystal clear clarity, with spirit-given insight, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, this one is that one, the Lord's Christ, the one who will set all things straight. That was the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel. We're moving on. We're moving on. And what we see that in the next 10, from chapter 9, the end of chapter 9 up to chapter 19 or thereabouts, Jesus starts to teach his disciples what it means to follow him. So in 9.51, we read that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. He's heading from Galilee up in the north on a long journey, but that journey is also an opportunity to speak to his disciples about what it actually means not to follow him literally to Jerusalem, but to follow him, to follow him as their teacher, to follow him as their king. Jesus calls people to come and follow. He was asking for their allegiance, for their obedience for their trust. He was saying, come and be with me. Come and learn from me. Come and join with me in what I am doing, in what God is doing. Come and be with me in my mission. And he gives us in Luke 9.23, a summary of what that looks like. He says to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. It sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Take up your cross daily. Lose your life for Christ. That sounds pretty full on. Jesus is not asking for admirers. He's not asking for you to like his Facebook page uh, and so, you know, you become a Jesus groupie. He's asking for people to take up their cross and follow. We're going to ask, Ashley, what's that mean? Because obviously it's a, it's a metaphor, it's a word picture. What does it mean for us to take up our cross? Well, before we answer that, I want to explore the whole idea of following. Because 
we're not big on following anyone, unless it, unless it is Facebook, in which case we're, we're just expressing mild interest. I'm interested enough to get your feeds and, and so forth. But we're not big fans of followers, are they? Are we? It's quite a, quite a derogatory term to say someone's a bit of a sheep. You know, they just follow around with the flock. They're just, we've all got to be individuals. Yes? I'm waiting for someone. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's it. Yeah, got it. Okay. But I'd like to suggest that even if you are that radical individual here this morning, maybe you're sussing out the whole Jesus thing and what it, what it would mean to follow him. And can I say, thanks for coming. Brilliant that you're here. This series will explain that to you with crystal clear clarity, I hope. But we all follow. Even the most individualistic of us follow something, follow someone. We all have an answer to the question, where is the good life found? Where is flourishing? It's a word that's become very trendy these days. We want to, we want to be flourishing, yes. Where is flourishing found? And the answer that you give to that question is what you follow, what you give your allegiance to, in what you put your trust. So if you think that getting a good education is the door to a future, that is what you are following. And you will find that you will line up everything behind that one key commitment. Once upon a time... I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I uh, missed in the HSC, New South Wales, we call the HSC the SACE for you South Australian, I missed by just a little bit. And then I applied myself through first year science to get the marks needed to get into medicine the next year. But there was a problem. Because about halfway through that year, uh, my answer to that question shifted. If you'd asked me, where is flourishing found? What is your goal? Medicine. I met Karen, didn't I? And about halfway through that year, it changed completely. And my marks went through the floor. (laughs) I went from a high distinction in physics to barely scraping a pass. And needless to say, I didn't become a doctor. But you can see, all of a sudden, my heart was captured. My allegiances changed and how I used my time and my energy and my focus, it shifted radically and all of a sudden study was out and Karen was in and the rest is history. Okay. But you all have something. You all have an answer to that question and that is what you follow. And the danger for us Christians is that we think we can have it and Jesus too. We think we can pursue career, we can pursue family, we can pursue pleasure and experience, we can pursue sport, you can fill in whatever blank you want. And Jesus is there for the ride. But can I say our obedience and allegiance to him is only conditional. That's the danger for us, that we are actually using Jesus to get something else and if he delivers we're there for him but I've had numerous conversations over years with people who said Christianity just doesn't work for me in other words Jesus doesn't give me the thing that I'm really after 
So as we think about following, are we actually following Christ? Or are we just travelling along the same road in roughly the same direction, but one day we are going to get to a parting of the ways where what we really want and what Jesus is calling for us are going in different directions and we will feel that tension. They say in business books that your yes is only ever as good as your no. You can only follow one king. Are we following Christ? Well, Jesus unpacks, unpacks what that looks like as he unpacks the cost. What does it mean to take up your cross? He gives us this little pithy description that Sharon read for us from chapter 9, verse 51 through to the end, where three men come up and give concrete examples and Jesus gives us very distinct responses. Now, Luke doesn't tell us anything about these guys. We don't even know if they listened to Jesus or they walked away. I think he does that deliberately. He's trying to provoke us to ask the same questions. He's trying to strip back so nothing gets in the way of Jesus's answers to those questions. Jesus's stark demands. Will we follow? The first guy comes up to Jesus and he says this, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, sounds good, doesn't he? We don't know anything about this guy. Jesus gives a fairly firm pushback, doesn't he? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We don't know the first thing about this guy, but it doesn't matter. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that your commitment to me, your allegiance to me, your trust in me will cut across every human comfort. Wealth, security, employment. Jesus is saying, if you are going to follow me, I come first. I don't know if you've ever felt uh, slept outside in the streets. We In the hills, we used to do a thing called Slum Survivor, where the kids used to build uh, cardboard houses and sleep outside. And we normally used to do it in about August, which in the hills is not a really very friendly time of year. Uh, but it gives them a sense of what it felt to live, even for one night, like so many of the world did do. But Jesus is saying, that's normal. Allegiance to me cuts across all those things. He goes on, another man comes up and he replies, Jesus says, follow me. But he replies, first let me go and bury my father. You know, pretty good excuse. We don't know if dad was actually deceased at this point. There's some debate about this, but it doesn't actually matter. One of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 verse 6, honour your mother and father. This is a really good excuse. It doesn't matter whether it was five years in the future, whether dad was sick and about to die or whether he had actually just died. What does Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, no matter how worthy any other commitment you have is, God wants us to honour our parents. 
But God wants us to honour the king first. Jesus says, follow me. Cuts across every other loyalty. Third one. Another man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Okay, this guy's been reading his Bible. This is Elijah and Elisha, isn't it? You know the story where Elijah's going along and he calls Elisha, who's plowing the field. And Elisha's like, let me go and say farewell. And Elisha actually cuts up the oxen and burns his plow and does all that kind of stuff. But you think, okay, that sounds fair. That sounds fair. But Jesus, again, cuts across what seems to be an entirely logical, entirely sensible, entirely reasonable request. No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you can't go back. If you are going to follow me, There are to be no regrets. It is wholehearted commitment. It is all in or all out. No looking back. No regrets. No, I think, sorry, channel a younger generation here. No FOMO, fear of missing out. You know that whole thing. Okay, that no, I give my life to Christ, but then I'm lamenting about all these other things. Do I miss not being a doctor? Well, I know enough of you doctors out there. Not at all. That's a little thing. That's a little thing. But sometimes we can look at the lives and the priorities of those around us and we can think that we've drawn the short straw. They're having more fun. They look like their life is more together than you. Jesus calls us to be radically generous with our time. Think about what you could spend that that money on that you gave to Trinity Bay, to the network, to CMS, to AFES, to whatever it is that you support. Do you regret that commitment? I felt it very keenly this week. I came in and found that most of my staff team is planning to go church planning with Colin. I thought, isn't it great? Two weeks in, they're leaving me. But you know what? After I repented of my ungodliness and ungraciousness, I gave thanks Because Colin will go with a great group of people and many of you may go with him as well. But it will cost. It will cost. You've probably never been in a church the morning after the church plant has started. Trinity Inner South will learn this next Sunday. Everyone at Trinity Church Unley is going to be going, yes! Everyone at Trinity Inner South is going to be going, where are all our friends? They'll also be going, yes, it's a real, it, it is a real, splits you in half. We did it in the hills when we sent Clayton and his team to Mount Barker. There is a cost. There is a very real cost to following Christ. And it manifests in all sorts of ways. But never think that Jesus is shortchanging you. 
that Jesus is somehow ripping you off. Jesus here is saying, no looking back. You cannot do the work of the kingdom. And that is what we are called to do. If you are there thinking, I'd be better off doing something else. Jesus is saying in these three examples, you can't come to him on your terms. You can't dictate to Jesus. You can't define the relationship. Sit down with Jesus and say, let's talk about how this whole discipleship thing is going to, is going to work. Karen and I, when we moved down from the hills, we started negotiating with schools. And that's one of the things you do. So, principal, tell us how this whole school thing is going to work. Jesus is like the principal that gives you the prospectus and says, take it or leave it. You come or you don't, but it's all in or it's all out. Jesus is asking us to follow him as king. It's kind of like this morning I've been commissioned and some of you could be thinking, you're probably not, hopefully not, you know, we're really happy with Cameron as our senior pastor, but we're not really that keen about Munro. Could we, could we get rid of that? Cameron, yes, Munro, doesn't make sense, does it? Can you have Jesus as saviour and not have him as Lord? It makes as much sense as having Cameron without Munro. You can't split the essential character of Christ. Jesus is Lord because he is saviour. He is saviour because he is Lord. That is what he's saying to us. And that is who we are following. Let me give you another illustration. I did some maths. Probably any astrophysicists here? Anyone? No, good. I'm not going to be pulled up on any of my calculations this morning. Okay. The distance Earth to the sun, roughly 150 million kilometres. Take my word on that, okay? Now, I want to represent that by the thickness, the thickness of one piece of paper. Okay, then we're going to go across the diameter of our galaxy, which is one galaxy amongst who knows how many, in a universe that is who knows how big. Okay, how tall is our piece of paper? 150 million kilometres. How tall? Anyone, anyone want to take a guess? Just to get across our galaxy. Anyone? No one's brave enough? A metre. More than 500 kilometres. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ created that with his word and sustains it with his power. That he is the king of all creation. Now I ask you, when that one says, come and follow me, do you try and negotiate terms? Jesus is saying, come and give me everything. And he has the right to demand it. He calls us to follow, but why would you do it? He calls us to give our very lives. Why? And not just why, but, but how? How? How could we be even a patch on Adoniram Judson who gave so much? How could we be like that? 
How could we do what Christ asked? How could we put him before family, before pleasure, before comfort, before security, before any other commitment? How could we go forward and never look back? Not just why would we do it, but how can we do it? Where does the strength for that come from? Now, I want to tell you how I shouldn't apply this sermon. What I could do is I could remind you that Jesus did it for you and you owe him. Okay? And I think as a pastor, sometimes I've been guilty of doing that. And if ever you've heard me say something like that, I am really sorry. Because that's legalism. That's transactional, isn't it? Jesus has done something for you. You have to do something for him. Relationships don't work like that. Or when they're working well, can I say, they don't work like that. Sometimes when they go really badly wrong, they work like that. But think about it. For those of us who are married, if it became, I will do something for you if you do something for me, how long would your marriage last? Not very long. Not very long. So if we view our relationship with Jesus as a, we owe him, he died for us, well, I suppose we better give him everything. It makes us feel guilty when we fail and completely inadequate because we could never give him enough. Let me tell you how you should think about it. You should see that in verse 51, this Lord Jesus... As the time was approaching for him to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sets his face, literally. He steals himself. He summons up every bit of will and determination and commits to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Well, you probably know the answer, but here it is again. 9.22. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus sets his course for the cross. He sets his course to the grave. He could have explained more as the Holy Spirit made clear through books and later in the New Testament, through the Old Testament prophets, that this death, this dying and rising, was in our place, bearing our sin. That this death was for us. And as we realise just how much this one loves us, our hearts are melted, broken, It is a work of the Spirit in us that convicts us just of how loved we are. It shows our desperate need, but the wonders of grace. Jesus, if we let him, will transfix our hearts. I gave you the illustration about what happened to me in my early university days. That's nothing. As much as I love my wife... It's nothing compared to what Christ has done. 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, I saw Christ for who he is. I saw that he was worthy of saying, yes, 
when he called, come and follow me. And every day since then, his spirit has been at work in me, showing me new depths, new wonders of grace and love. And when you see Christ like that, when you live in his grace like that, when the gospel of the Lord Jesus is firmly under your feet and the spirit is working it deep down into your heart, something that you can only do in the word and in prayer and in fellowship with one another, as that happens, you start to answer, why would I regret following you? Why would I want to follow anyone else? There is nothing, nothing that the world could offer that could compete. FOMO, you know, what's that? Fear of missing out. Ephesians chapter 1. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Be transfixed by his grace. How will God use you? I have no idea. How will God use us, Trinity Bay? We'll see. It'll be amazing. It'll be costly. But if our hearts are transfixed by his love, if our eyes are set upon our Lord and our wills aligned to follow him, where else would we be? Where else would we be? Adoniram Judson was probably the pioneering mission who planted the Baptist Fellowship of Myanmar. This is what the World Christian Encyclopedia said at the last century change. The turn of the second millennium, the estimated membership of the Myanmar Baptist Convention was 3,700 congregations with 617,881 members and 1.9 million affiliates. The Trinity Network, in the time that I've been in Adelaide, I've seen God grow it from three churches to soon to be ten churches. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to reach with his mission of grace and love that has reached us to reach out and reach further. And maybe... By God's grace, we will have the privilege of giving him glory in eternity. As someone writes in the update of the World Christian Encyclopedia, if the Lord tarries, that God used the Trinity Network and other like-minded Christians to do such a work of grace in Adelaide, South Australia and beyond. But brothers and sisters, it begins. It begins with that call to take up your cross to deny yourself and to follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you ask so much. It cuts across our selfishness and our self-will, our self-determination. But Father, Son, And Spirit, you have given us everything we need that we can answer the call of the Lord Jesus. Father, you sent your Son, Son, you died in our place, 
you rose again, and Holy Spirit, you take that victory and you work it in our hearts. And we pray now that you would continue to show us of your grace and mercy and love. That we might know your depths of compassion, of grace, so fully that our hearts might be so transfixed that we might never question why we would follow. Because who else would we follow? And in the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.